all you beautiful body bastards and welcome back to body ballads where we look at many of the forgotten hilarious and often dirty old songs of the past along the way we'll explore all those things that make life just a bit more interesting there's trickery infidelity loving drinking fighting and while we dig into these songs we'll talk about all kinds of stuff archetypes, history, folklore, and share the way these songs connect with the present. A fair warning before we begin, this show does discuss adult themes and topics, including violence, sex, and my own foul mouth. And as always, make sure to check the show notes for links, including thebodyballads.com, where you can share your creations with me and see the show transcripts and additional links if you're curious to learn more. And with that said, let's get to today's episode. Welcome back, my little birdies, and today we're going to look at love and money. What is it worth? What is love worth? How much are you willing to spend to get it? How many products selling better looks will you buy? How much will you spend to prove your love? How much is someone willing to spend on you? What does that mean for your worth? Now, anyone who's read any classic novel should be familiar with the word dowry, which is money paid by the bride's family to the groom, i.e., here's some money for taking on my daughter, or the groom paying for a piece of property that happens to provide heirs. It was also expected to help take care of the girl in her new home, but aside from that, the ways the money was actually spent varied widely by the couple, just as money does in relationships today. Bride price, which is less well-known, is when a groom's family pays the wife's family to make up for the lost amount of labor that is caused by her leaving. When we try and date, we are always trying to sell ourselves. Here's what I'm worth. Look how amazing I am. I'm really valuable. Better grab me before someone else does. We sell what we see as our positives or perhaps lie or exaggerate our skills and traits. If you were to go by online dating apps, every man is either in the gym every day or on a fishing boat or killing a deer. On a biological level, this is sending two signals. One, I'm strong enough to protect you and your children, or any children that we may have. And two, I'm a good provider for food. Our children will not starve. Now, every once in a while, you get the one who is still trying to convince the world how cool he is, and he tends to do it either on the back of a fast bike or uh, on top of a mountain or an elephant or just being overly artistic. Uh, and those generally, generally, tend to be those F-boys we like to talk about so much, even if they're 45 goddamn years old. Anyways, I'd like to say something about how girls try to make themselves seem valuable, but I only have my perspective, and that's just one of laying out myself as the weirdo I am, which is, in itself is a subconscious tactic to set myself apart. I'm unique, a rare gem. You should try and grab me before someone else does, realizes I'm here. You know, I value knowledge and curiosity. These are the things I put forward as my identity because they are the things I value most. It's just that different people find and hold value in different things. And that word value is important. Now some goal, goals, good lord, girls, hold value on physical strength and the ability to protect. 
while others prefer someone who is a provider. Some don't care as long as they are the center of attention. Some men prefer women who are arm candy and status symbols because they perfectly fit into social beauty standards and others prefer one who is nurturing and supportive. They're still all cultural standards. And this is all where that anima animus problem comes in. Our expectations for the opposite sex often come from the experiences built up in childhood as do what we value. Where those values and priorities meet is where matches end up happening. You love ICP? I love ICP. Yeah, I'm using a juggalo juggalette example because if two people love that group, there are going to be some very specific shared experience or views on what is of value. Now, in some parts of the world, this is still a very common practice, such as in India. I've linked a great Vox article that covers how the system in India works, and if you look at the things valued, they aren't that different from the big factors that people look for in love in, or sorry, look for in love matches, tongue-tied. Anyways, the more overall value you have just links you to a better match in terms of what would be viewed as social currency. We want someone who is going to bring at least equal skills or understanding. So let's look at a couple of examples of old school look at my worth songs. The first is from 1720 and called A Dialogue Between Jack and His Mother. Jack met his mother all alone to whom he did smiling say, I'll go and fix him, visit Buxom Joan because it's holiday. And being in my roast meat clothes, I hope she will like me well. If Joan be kind, my heart, my mind, to her, I will freely tell. <sighs> my son, she is lusty, large, and tall, and thou art but young as yet. The whole proportion is but small. She'll swallow thee at a bit, and hide thee in her hollow cave from ever glance of light. Upon my life, take her to wife, and then thou art ruined quite. I pray, dear mother, say not so. You speak in your son's disgrace. Behold, my beard begins to grow, and I have a manly face. With something else to pleasure, Joan, according to art and skill, since it is so, I'd have you know, I must have a wife, and will. Go then, go to her then, with all my heart, and when she's made thy spouse, with half my goods, I'll freely part, my weathers and good milk cows, my geese, my ducks, my cocks, my hens, my wagons, my plows, my teams, cause you declare in love you are, and must have a wife, it seems. So soon as her discourse was done, without any dispute, Jack to his chamber straight did run and put on his leather suit, his broad-brimmed hat and ribbon red. Now when he was thus arrayed, himself he viewed and did conclude that he was a brisk young blade. Then he away to Joan did ride, and when he came there, he cried, Sweet jewel, wilt thou be my bride, my honey, my sweet pigsies? To thee I have a present brought, a delicate gay gold ring. Then let us wed, and when we bed, thou shalt have a better thing. 
Then Buxom Joan began to frown and called him a saucy slave, saying that no such homebred clown her maidenhead heir should have. Why, what's the matter, he replied, without any more ado. I'd have you know, if hence I go, I can have as good as you. There's Doll, the shepherd's daughter dear, and Katie of high degree, who has at least three mark a year. They're ready to die for me. And must I now be held in scorn and made a ridicule too? By buxom chone, it is well known I can have as good as you. My mother, she has horses, wains, and delicate cows and calves, geese, cappins, turkeys, cocks, and hens, and I am to go her halves. The goods likewise must be parted be, as soon as I am married too. What say you now, you saucy sow, I can have as good as you? With that he went to take his leave, and just as he turned aside, Joan stepped and caught him by the sleeve. I was but in jest, she cried. What makes you be in so much haste, if me thou art come to woo? We'll never part, thou hast my heart, I'll marry none but you. You might have told me this at first, before you had vexed me so. And then perhaps I might have bust my Joni for aught of you, I, aught I know. But you did so inflame my wrath that I in a passion flew. There's girls good store at every door. I can have as good as you. Joan in a merry humor smiled and took him about the waist. Said, prithee, John, be reconciled. I was but a word in haste. A kind and virtuous wife I'll prove. I'll honor and love thee too. When, why then, quoth he, I do agree to marry with none but you. Okay. Here's what I love about this song. The mother is clearly saying, boy, this girl is too much for you. In a metaphorical sense, this is about them being unequal. But it also has to do with the power of female sexuality and the mother's fears that Joan would take total control of her son through her sexual prowess or <laughs> hide him away in her hollow cave. Which, can we just take a moment to appreciate this imagery and punnery? Now, I'm not going to lay that one out for you. Because if you don't get it, you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast. There could be an argument that the mother was right, with Joan only accepting his offer after he sells her on all the goods she'll inherit when his mother passes or when they marry, and all the girls who would be happy to have him. He's laying out all the reasons he's of value. He isn't laying out his personal characteristics and joys that match well with Joan's. Now, there's a lot more going on in this song in terms of feminine-masculine interaction as clear as it's clear that Joan is far more masculine than the boy, even taking him by the waist, which is typically a very masculine movement. There's a lot to be said, too, about this song in terms of gender roles and expectations. But I'm pulling the reins on my ADHD tendency to ramble far off topic, because the main point is she only accept him, accepts him once he shows his value. And if you don't think this still happens, then go ahead and, or sorry, I'm going to go ahead and quote salt and pepper who said, okay, Miss Thang, never give up skins if you don't like him or his friends, but what about that Ben's? We still value cash and partnerships. Why else do you, we care that someone is dating a doctor, lawyer, stockbroker, 
etc., etc. Anyone bringing in the cash. So, let's look at an example of a ballad that does a more direct comparison in the two kinds of courtship or love from the 1680s called a fairing for young men and maids if you'll take my advice this i would have you do then every young man take his lass and drink a pot or two or we will just call it a fairing as thomas and mary did meet it was on a summer's day with words they began to greet each other upon the way pray what are you bound for what are you bound for the fair? This young man unto her did say. And if that you be going there, I'll be glad of your company. He said that he did love her as a young man and maid should do. And every style they went over, he gave her a kiss or two. But when they came to the fair, they merrily spent the day. But meeting with William and Betty, this Thomas to them did say, We'll drink before we part. Come give us a bottle of wine. Since thou art thy sweetheart, and I come here with mine, the maids are not unwilling, as far as I understand. But Will was for kissing and feeling a maid upon every hand. And when they were full of canary, their stomachs began for to rise, then Thomas began to court Mary with hand upon one of her thighs. Said he, Art thou willing to wed, for I have some goods beforehand? Besides, my father is dead. He promised me all his land. And this is a good beginning. Besides, I have more at home. You make it a little spinning, and I can ha both weave and comb. My mother will give me a little if I get an honest young man. She said, I shall have the kettle and likewise a warming pan. My grandam will give me a cradle, which is both firm and strong. Sister Marjorie will give me a ladle. These goods come in. Ding dong! And this is a good beginning. Besides, I have more at home. I make it a little by spinning, and you can both weave and comb. Then William struck up to Betty, and thus unto her did say, Since thou art a girl that's pretty, I'll give thee a fairing this day. Why sit you so melancholy, my pretty sweet Betty, my dove? Thou t though Thomas be all for Molly, if thou art the maid that I love, and this unto thee I will promise, then hang sorrow, cast away, cast away care. We'll be as far forth as Thomas before we get out of the fair. If that you will change your condition and that you do fancy a man, I pray, Betty, have no suspicion that you I do seek to trap him. My tongue and my heart is united. I scorn for to tell thee a lie. Sure, I have no cause to be slighted. Then prithee, love, do not deny. Though we have a small beginning, as little as nothing, I know, you may get a little by spinning, and I can both reap and mow. And thus we may live in content, and they that had a great deal more than out of the door they went and walked the fair all over, to buy each other a fairing as young men and maids should do, and when they were home repairing, they walked away two and two. It was Thomas and Mary together with William and Betty so rare, Pray what man can say another, but that they had made a good fair. What maid can he, there be so hard-hearted, an honest young man to deny? That is the case many are parted, without any reason why. I would have you strive to prevent it, or else it may be to your loss. I know that you are not contented when you one the other do cross. 
And not for my new song is it over, for I have no more to say, but wish every maid a true lover that I have seen here today. Alright, so quick note, um, since we are still kind of, you know, early in this podcast and I'm still finding, like, you know, that flow and this deals with flow, y'all, I ain't gonna stop every time I get tongue-tied on these damn ballads anymore because there's some of them that flow really well. Some of them just naturally flow off the tongue because they're kind of well-written. But just as songs today, not all, and stories, not all of them are well-written. And some of the syntax on these things is a but to say out loud. And so if I get tongue-tied, I'm just going to roll it over and keep it going. Anyways, so in this song, the author ends by saying a true lover. But he doesn't directly state which is the true lover, Thomas or William. But I want to argue for William because the courtship between Thomas and Mary reads like a financial agreement. Here's what resources I bring. On the other hand, William and Betty are to be reliant on their skills alone to build something together. That's a real root of lasting love. It's two people working back and forth together to help support and strengthen each other in whatever way is needed, even if they do come into a marriage with a shit ton of assets. It's still about hard work internally and externally to build that relationship, that business, that house, that family, whatever it is. It's not empty, lustful, I love you, I can't wait to be with you, this is going to last forever, that powerful, like, all-consuming energy you get at the beginning of a relationship. Nah. It's a mutual respect and vision of the future that is openly communicated and compromise is always being met. If you place great value on personal development, then you can see that this is where the true value in relationships lies. The support to grow as both individuals and a unit. A good way to look at how this works is to say that one partner is very much in their headspace all the time. They are always analyzing things, planning, researching, just think, 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 think. So much so that they kind of forget that they are physical beings as well. And then the other partner is always working out or doing physical activities. They enjoy food and other physical pleasures. They're always in their body. When these two learn to really work with each other, the potentials are amazing. The headspace partner is constantly pulled down to their physical needs and pleasures by the physical-based partner. And then the physical-based partner partner is pushed to th- into their emotions, thinking, feeling more and more as they continue and interact and communicate with the headspace. Now, I realize that describing someone as being a headspace probably sounds a bit negative connotation-wise, but I don't mean it at all. I'm definitely a headspace person. I mean, this podcast is a child of my PhD re- research. I sometimes forget to get myself out of my head. And sometimes it's helpful to have somebody pull me out of there. It also makes me realize how fortunate I am to not be in a culture where issues with dowry put me in harm's way. And let's be honest, I wouldn't have had shit anyway. It still happens in various places and it's important to raise awareness. So I'm going to share a bit about dowry deaths. And while not exactly the typical typical tone for this show, I think it's vital to raise awareness of the problem. If you Google dowry deaths, you'll have plenty to choose from, but the Indian Express article I've linked in show notes does a great job of giving a solid overview of the issue. 
Some of these examples include a woman starved to death because her family hadn't been paying dowry to her husband's family, um, being set on fire and killing themselves after being tortured. Particularly horrific is the story of a man who molested his own 14-year-old daughter and tortured his wife because of issues with dowry payment. Now, technically dowry has been illegal in India since 1961's Dowry Prohibition Act, but it's still hugely popular and it, on its own, I wouldn't say it's a bad practice. However, the violence toward women has more to do with traditional gender power structures. But regardless, the numbers are horrific. India's National Crime Records Bureau in 2009 states in 2019 there was a dowry-related death every hour. Every goddamn hour. And that's really all I'm going to say on the subject because digging into more details would involve getting far more grisly in tone than is good for ending this show on. But I do encourage all of you to reach out if you experience any form of domestic abuse, mental, or physical. So stay saucy and sassy, and I'll see you next time. Oh, and one more thing. If you hear dogs in the bark background barking and it's picking up, I'm sorry. I'm not technically savvy enough to edit that hint out, and uh, they're particularly loud. That If you hear it, that dog is two doors down. He loud, but he's sweet. All right, bye.